After Jesus finished his teaching during the Last Supper, he told his disciples, You know that the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that time, the chief priests and elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus covertly and kill him. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going directly to Jesus, he said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus replied, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and staff in his right hand. And they bowed their knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of Jews! Then they spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now when the evening had come, there came a man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. The Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Well, we've heard the story. 
We have heard the story now. And now we're going to open the way we always open our Easter services, something we learn from our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ of the Orthodox churches. And that is uh, on Easter Sunday. They celebrate and the leader will say, Christ is risen. And people will respond, he is risen indeed and alive forevermore. So let's try that. Now you know what we're doing. And even though you're going to feel awkward doing that at home with maybe not that many people around or just your family around, you can maybe feel awkward saying something out loud like this. But hey, this is our time of worship. You are in right now the house of God. So let's try that. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and alive forevermore. Let's do it one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and alive forevermore. You know what? You actually did that, a great job at that at home. And the people here, not so good. But you know what? You did great there. We're so glad you've taken the time to join us this morning. We're actually celebrating three days today. We're celebrating uh, and going through all the attendant emotions. We're, we're recognizing and focusing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're, we're focusing on Good Friday, the day that Jesus died. We're focusing, obviously, on the third day when Christ rose on Easter Sunday. But we're celebrating also and recognizing and remembering more Holy Saturday, the day that's in the middle. It's a day of loss. It's a day of grieving. It's a day of waiting. It's a day of wondering. But let's start with Good Friday. I want to talk to you today about how to unwrap your Easter gifts. Now, this is not typically a holiday, so to speak, where we think about gifts. Uh, it's not uh, a day like uh, Halloween, where you get candy to enjoy. It's not a day uh, like Christmas, where there's Christmas gifts. But there are massive gifts that are available for you and for me that God wants us to enjoy that come to us from the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and his life forevermore. So I want to talk through with you some of these extraordinary gifts. And one of the first gifts that comes from uh, this extraordinary moment in time in the life of Jesus on Good Friday is simply this. He wipes away my sins. He wipes away my sins. And the Bible says this in a number of different ways. All the ways that we have uh, done wrong. You know, when we have a relationship and we do something that's offensive to somebody else and harmful for something else, we, we want to do anything to make that right. We want to do anything to kind of undo what we've done, but you, you can't always, as they say, you can't unring a bell. You can't always take back words that were spoken in anger. You can't always take back actions that were done that were not honoring to that relationship to that covenant that we have with each other. You, you can't always kind of go back and if you're at uh, your workplace, apologize to an employee for uh, perhaps the way you've spoken to them or apologize to your boss possibly for the way that you've maybe slacked off since you've been working from home right now <laughs> and uh, trying to uh, deal with those uh, realities. As Pastor Brandon likes to say, sent me a meme this week that said, uh, we're not working from home. We are at home during a crisis, trying to get some work done. And that's the difference. But we fail in so many ways. And the remarkable thing is that because of the death of Jesus on the cross, he wipes away my sins. Think about how God says this in his word. It says, uh, letter A, that he takes away my sins. 
when Jesus first appears in the Gospel of John, his friend John says, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he went to the cross. But he doesn't just take it away. Let her be, he covers and forgives my sins. David had a very visible sin in his life. He had more than one because he's a human being. But he tried to cover it up, but then he came to a point in time where he acknowledged it. And in Psalm 32, not, in your, not on the screen, but in your notes, then I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and I did not cover up my iniquity. A lot of times we do wrong, and we try to kind of fake it till we make it, and we try to just cover it up and hope that nobody notices. That's what David did, and he acknowledged it to God. He's, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You liberated me from the weight of that guilt. Oh, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. God does more than that. Let her see. He washes me clean, and he disinfects me from my sin. Oh, we know about washing in our time, don't we? Because of the coronavirus, because of COVID-19, our concerns. We're washing our hands, and I've got a couple of dry spots that are pretty sore, little rough spots on my hands, because I've been washing them more than ever before. And we understand about disinfecting and the power of disinfecting. The power of disinfecting is so potent that uh, we read uh, during the past couple of weeks that there was a guy on, I believe it was eBay, who had four containers of Clorox wipes that he was generously making available. He said, these were my personal ones, but I'm willing to make these available for someone in need for just $80. Well, he was ridiculed and rightly so for trying to drive up the price when people were at a difficulty. We know about the power and the importance of disinfection. Here's what God's word says in Psalm 51. Again, David acknowledging what he has done before God. He says, and this is his prayer, but this is what God exactly does for him. He says, wash away all my iniquity, God, and cleanse me from my sin. Remove every vestige of the stain of what I have done, God. Take it away. Wipe it clean. Wash me so I'm new. Letter D, he evicts my sins and he sets me free. He evicts my sins and he sets me free. God speaks in Isaiah 44 and says, I have swept away your sins like a cloud. Swept them away like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. At great cost, God will evict our sin, sweep them away like a cloud, blow them away like the morning mist, like the low-lying fog. I grew up in Salinas, California, and we used to say that the, the fog would, roll, uh, would kind of be there until about 11 in the morning, then it would burn off. About 1 or 2 in the afternoon, the fog would come rolling back in. God blows away, scatters our sins, our offenses, like the morning mist, because he wants a relationship with us. The problem is, the prophet Isaiah says elsewhere, the problem is that your sins, my sins, have cut us off from God. But God wants us to return to him. He has paid the price to set us free. Letter E, he banishes my sins. He banishes my sins to the deepest sea. In Micah, 
the prophet says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of his special people? Oh God, you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Thank you, God, for delighting to show mercy, for hurling all of our iniquities to the depth of the sea. In letter F, he expels my sin as, as far is from the east is from the west. Now, we've already read that he sends them to the deepest sea. That's the deepest sea as we understand it. The, the caverns in the ocean uh, are deeper in comparison than the highest of the mountains on our planet. But God sends our sins there. He also, to clarify, says that he expels my sin as far as, from, as the east is from the west. Psalm 103 says that the Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, pretty high, an infinity high. That's how great God's love is for those who fear him, not who quake in fear, but for those who have that holy reverence and awe and respect for God and seek to enter into relationship because of that. But as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. They're buried in the deepest sea. They're farthest, as far from the east is from the west, which is an infinite amount of space. He does more. He he puts our sins behind his back. I love this. Think of God here as a, as a loving parent. Almost as if he's kind of speaking to us as a, as a little child. And he says, you, you know your sin. We know what we're talking about. I have put your sin behind my back. There, God, look at what God says in his word. In your love, God, you have kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. When something's behind your back, you can't see him anymore. God doesn't keep turning around and looking to remind himself of what you and I have done. They're gone. Because here on Good Friday, as we remember Good Friday and what Jesus did, letter H, he nailed my sins to the cross of Jesus. He nailed my sins to the cross of Jesus. Colossians 2 tells us that when you were stuck in your old, sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive, right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Jesus' beloved disciple John said very late in his life as an elderly man, he said, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the First Testament, sins were covered they were atoned for by the, the blood of an innocent animal. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
as John had said when he greeted Jesus, pointed Jesus out to other people, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In 1 John 1, 7, he reminds us how it was through the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that he cleanses us from all sin. Now, if that wasn't enough, enough letter I, he forgets my sins. He forgets my sins. Isaiah 43, 25, God speaks and says, I, even I, the one and only God, am he who blots out your transgressions. I do that for my own sake. I do that to restore our relationship to each other and remember your sins no more. Those sins are gone, buried in the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, puts our sins behind his back, nails our sins to the cross of Jesus. And he forgets my sins. Now there's a question for us this morning, which is this, will, will you and will I, will we unwrap this gift? Will we receive this gift that God wants to give us? Right where we are at home, we don't have to do anything formal, anything awkward. You don't need to stand up. You don't need to come forward to the team, the, 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 the screen, the TV screen, or the computer screen, or the iPad screen, tab, whatever it is that you're watching us on right now. Just right where you are, God's speaking to you and says, listen, the sins that weigh heavily on your shoulders, the sin that guilt that presses on your heart, on your spirit, on your mind, that affects your relationships, I can take care of it. If you give them to me, Jesus has already paid for those sins on the cross on Good Friday. What does God do for us? What are the three gifts he gives us because of the cross of Jesus? Number one, he wipes away my sins. Number two, he repairs my relationship with God. He repairs my relationship with God. In a sense, he kind of opens up a door that had been closed to us. In Romans 5, and there are many other passages that we look at that say something similar, it tells us that if while we were still enemies, if while we were still adversaries of God, we were alienated from God, cut off from God, not doing what God called us to do. What did God call us to do? Not a, a long list of rules and regulation. Remember when Jesus was asked to summarize the, the cliff notes, or I guess today we call it the, the spark notes, or I guess even more so today we call it Wikipedia, the infallible source of all human knowledge, right? And we look and somebody asked Jesus, what is, what is the heart of the Old Testament? Give us the greatest commandment. He said, the greatest commandment is this, it's love. If you love, you've fulfilled the greatest commandment. Love who? Oh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And then love everyone around you. Love your neighbor. Love the people in close proximity to you as yourselves. Now today we have a challenge because we have a, at least a six-foot gap between ourselves, right? So our neighbors are a little more distant than they were before. But having said that, if you're working at home and you've got a group of us, we all of a sudden have three people working in home in three uh, three back-to-back uh, -back rooms, uh, and sometimes close proximity, you know, sometimes you, you go to work to get away from people. I, I'm not saying that for me, but I'm saying that for the other two people in my house who've told me this. It's hard working around other people. God says, my path is love. That's what I'm inviting you to, is love. But while, while we're still enemies, but while we wanted to live our own life, God 
fully reconciled us to himself. He, he made that relationship right. And he did it through the death of his son. And then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we're no longer enemies. We're no longer adversaries. We're no longer cut off. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer rebels with God. We're at peace with God. And because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will, be, will we be rescued from sin's dominion, sin's mastery over our lives? And even more than that, we overflow with tremendous joy in our new relationship of living in harmony with God. And how does it happen? It's all because of Jesus Christ. I ask again, will you unwrap this gift? This gift of Jesus in his death repairing our relationship with God. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that there's a, a new and a living way that opens up for us into the very presence of God, into the place where God himself sits on the throne of the world, of the universe, of the galaxies. And there's a way for us to come directly into his presence. This is hard for us. We don't even have a connection sometimes right now. We don't always have a connection to those that we love. Our, our grandkids, our son Stephen, uh, came over this morning and uh, dropped off some groceries because of our my advanced age, not Sherry's, but uh, our kids want us to stay uh, inside as much as possible and so far so good they've been so kind and gracious as to help us out stephanie uh, gets our meal so we don't even touch it and then only get it after she's kind of sterilized it stephen michelle have been great uh, gracious and stephanie as well to pick up supplies and groceries and whatnot but our grandkids came over in dropping off some uh, supplies they had for us and they came in, and Ryan said, I want to just give you a big hug. And Stephen said, no, I told you. She said, no, it's a pretend hug. I'm giving you a pretend. In my heart, I'm giving you a hug. And then she came in and bumped elbows, and then Zeke came in and bumped his elbow with us. It's hard to have distance in our relationship. But God has taken care of the distance in our relationship. He sent Jesus to our planet to live our life, to experience what it's like to be human, to experience our griefs and losses, to experience the the grief and the pain of being a human being. And then he died on the cross. And this all happened to bring back together God and me, God and you. Will you unwrap this gift? Right where you're seated right now or standing or walking or listening in the other room. Right where you are. Just tell God. That's what prayer is, just talking to God. Tell God. God, I want our relationship to be right. And I thank you that you have already taken the initiative in your son Jesus, who willingly came and died on my behalf, on the behalf of all humanity, to make our relationship right with the living God. I want to accept that, welcome that, receive that gift, unwrap that gift, and enjoy it from here on. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, I'm a new creature. Which brings us to the third thing that Jesus does at the cross. He shows me how to live. He shows me how to live. Another of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, late in his life, said, Do you not know? You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold 
If you've got money in the stock market, you understand about money being perishable, right? Right now, many of you have had hours cut. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have been laid off temporarily because of the crisis that we're in. We understand that, that money doesn't last. That Bible says somewhere that money has wings. Anybody who has young children understand that process, or older children for that matter. Money has wings. It's not, though, with perishable things like silver or gold that we think are so important but ultimately aren't, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. Every one of us has been dealt a, an imperfect set of a hand of cards, I guess you could say, because it came from people who were themselves flawed and who themselves were raised by people who were imperfect. Those who came before us, they had some of the same challenges, and in some cases they had more difficult challenges. I, I remember feeling some frustration with my dad when I was growing up and feeling some distance. And when I got to be older and got to know my dad, uh, still as my, my father, but now as kind of a friend also, a, a brother in Christ, if you will, and began to study some of his story when he was little, I realized the distance that he had from his father, through no fault of his own, my dad was uh, the ninth of... 10 children, actually 11. One was, uh, one uh, died uh, shortly after childbirth. He was the ninth of 10 children, and my dad was born when his father, I realized, his father was 50. They were very poor. They really struggled. A 50-year-old guy who's got eight children already, and then a ninth come along, and I realized the things that I thought my dad didn't give me I realize now my dad was a world-class father. My dad loved me. He didn't always say it, but he communicated it. He cared for me. He, and he gave me what I don't think he was ever given. We, we come from broken people. We are broken people. And Jesus died to redeem us from the empty way of life, to trade that for a new kind of life, and it happened because of the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. A lamb without blemish or defect. Or we could look at uh, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's part of welcoming Jesus into your life, as you realize that when Jesus died, we died. That we were crucified. Jesus told his followers, you have to, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So Paul can say now that the life I now live in the, uh, the, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's how life is meant to be lived, by loving each other, by giving ourselves to other people. So Jesus, number three, if you didn't get that principle, because I think I might not have said it, but you hopefully saw it on the screen. Jesus shows me at his cross. He shows me how to live. And he shows me how to love. Will you unwrap this gift? If you live by faith in the Son of God, if you say, Jesus, I want to follow you from here on, I want you to show me the way to live and the way to love. He'll come and he'll do that. Now we have a, a second day to talk about, and that's, Jesus' resurrection. But before we get to it, can we talk just for a minute about that day in between? 
We call it Holy Saturday. If you look on our website and our, uh, our daily encouragements, I've written quite a bit. actually gave you kind of a part of a, a message from uh, an outstanding preacher about Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday isn't Friday, a time of grief and loss when Jesus took away our sins, repaired our relationship with God, and showed us how to live and love. And it's not Easter Sunday, the day of celebration, the day that we're here to recognize. Holy Saturday is that day in between. It's that day that Jesus spent in that tomb, behind that stone that was rolled in front of the entrance. It's a day where we've lost something that's a treasure to us. It's a day where we wait. It's a day where we weep. It's a day when we wonder. And you and I here in our community and in L.A. County and in the state of California and the United States as our country, but as a citizen of the world, we have grieved. And we're in the middle. We're in the middle of that time of grieving. We are stunned and shocked at the number of people worldwide that have been affected by the coronavirus. We are amazed and in shock at the number of people who have lost their lives. We're living right now in the middle of Holy Saturday. Even in our own church family, we've seen loss over the past three to four weeks. I think of uh, Anita's husband, Ray. I, I think of uh, Sydney Rick Porter, Rick's, Porter, uh, Rick's uh, mother, Vera. I think of uh, Bob Charton, a wonderful member of the Bethany family, and a faithful servant of our church, and a wonderful father. I think uh, even this past week then, Claire, Ar Claire Eberhardt on Thursday, and I think on Good Friday morning, Betty Parkinson. So this day, Holy Saturday of loss, a day to weep, a day to wait, a day to wonder. But then comes Sunday morning. Write down letter B, Jesus' resurrection gives me three priceless prizes. Three priceless prizes. Number one, eliminates all fear of death. The resurrection of Jesus from that grave eliminates all fear of death. Whether that's my own death, whether it's my own death. Hebrews 2 says that since God's children, since you and I have flesh and blood, we do. We're more aware of our humanity right now than we ever have been, aren't we? We're flesh and blood. We're, we're limited. We're finite. So then Jesus also shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery from the fear of death. I remember years ago hearing uh, the wit of Woody Allen, who used to ruminate quite a bit about death. And at one point he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Kind of a gallows humor approach to death. But I've been with people before they've died, and I've seen the confidence and the trust and the faith. Sharon and I were able to be with Claire and with her family. A couple Sundays we would go to their house to pray just after we had recorded our services online and to pray. And the first couple weeks where Claire was still with us in spirit and mind, she asked us to pray. I asked Claire, what can I pray for? And I'm expecting here's someone who is dying and knows she's dying. They've stopped the treatment for the 
blood condition that she had suffered from. I'm wondering what request that she will say, how, how can you pray for me? And she said, I, I just am so grateful to God for my family. Her prayer was a praise. She would tell her family over the past four or five weeks, I'm going on a trip. Well, in some cases she did. She went on a couple ambulance rides. She went to the hospital. She went to a, a rehab center. She went back home. But the last week or two before she went home, she said, I I'm going on a trip. Get my traveling clothes ready. And Friday night we went, and they had dressed her in her traveling clothes, the clothes she liked to wear because they were comfortable when they would go on a vacation or a family get-together. And Claire went home. There's not fear. There's not fear. Whether it's our own death, but also it could be the death of those that I treasure or cherish. And, and sometimes the death of someone close to us is, if this is possible, it's harder than our own death because we love him so much. John tells us the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth that those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, have, not will have, but they have eternal life. They have already passed from death to life. Jesus said, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now the resurrection. That's my middle name. I am the life. And the one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. In fact, everyone who lives believing in me, that's how it all takes place, does not ultimately die at all. You see, Claire, at one moment was with us, and the next moment has slipped into the presence of Jesus and so many other beloved friends and family who had gone before. Will you unwrap this gift? Are you terrified right now of, of somehow contracting this virus? Are you terrified of what might happen to you or to someone that you love? It's understandable. It's human. But the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that that resurrection power is available to us. I am, he says, the resurrection and the life. Eliminates all fear of death. Number two, it makes me a brand new person. Number two, it makes me a brand new person. In John 5, excuse me, in 1 Peter 1, he praises God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. We died with Christ if we're a follower of him. We died to ourselves. And we raised, we we're raised with Christ as well. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Would you like to become a brand new person? Unwrap that gift right now. Have you unwrapped that gift? Do you want to unwrap that gift? Do it right now. 
over and over we said the one who believes in me, the one who believes in God, the ones who fear and trust God, the one who live by faith in the Son of God. God, I want to be a brand new person. I want you to change me in ways that I don't find myself having the power to change myself. Make me a brand new person. I believe that you died and you were raised to give me hope of becoming a new person. New birth into a living hope. Number three, our final principle here from the resurrection of Jesus, the third priceless gift, priceless prize that we receive. The resurrection of Jesus gives me hope for the future. Hope for the future. I want to invite our worship team to come up for a closing song, but I want to read just this passage from Ephesians 1. Paul is praying for his friends, and I'm praying right now for my friends. Some of you, I know some of you, we've never met in person, but you're here. You're part of the Bethany family too. You, you don't have any obligations at this point. You're new to the family, right? But you're part of our family, and I pray for you. It's hard because I can't see you. You can see me, I can't see you, but God, right now, God sees you, and that's all that matters. And so I pray for you, and I pray Paul's prayer over you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power, not just his power, not just God's great power, but his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same. Can you believe it? That power is the same, the power in you, the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come, God's resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus by the Father and the Spirit gives me hope for the future because the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same incomparably great power is at work in us who believe. Will you unwrap that gift? Right where you are, close your eyes and just speak to God. Say, living God, I want that power to be at work in my life. This past week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, I, I've been God's so preoccupied. I've been so overcome with fear. Uh, I, I recognize there are relationships that aren't going right. I, I, realize, I, I realize that I have not become the person that I want to be. I want to be a, a, a better man, a better woman, a better boy, a better girl. But I seem to lack the power. Jesus died to make that a reality. Jesus was raised so that I might have hope hope. My prayer is that you will overflow with hope, that you'll learn to put your trust in God, and that God will fill you with that hope and new life, make you a new person, take away your fear of death, give you hope for the future. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, right there where you are, all God's children said, come on now, say it out loud, all God's children said, amen.